Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Well, hello, Central. It is so great to be with you, to those in the room with me, uh, to those of you who are watching or listening uh, at another campus or online. So glad that you are a part of this as well. My name is Jeremy, and today we're continuing the series we've been in called Travels With. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get those open to 1 Samuel chapter 18. So if you've got a physical Bible, it's in the Old Testament. You're going to go over there. If you've got a Bible app, you can just type that in. 1 Samuel 18. Uh, We're going to be there in just a moment. And today we're going to look at uh, a journey in the life of King David. Now, King David is one of those guys, even if you have not read the Bible, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you have probably heard of King David. It's just one of the most well-known people throughout the scriptures and and dominates so many uh, stories in the Old Testament. And David is one of those guys I suspect a lot of us love because we want to be David. We, we wish the things that happened to David could happen to us. Because it just seems like everything goes well for David most of the time. Now, now the closest you and I get to this kind of feeling is social media. Because we know on social media, that's your chance. If you write something really brilliant or witty, it can be seen by the masses. And so social media, the allure is it offers you that one rare glimpse of what it could feel like to have notoriety, to have everybody on the web see something. And and so I know a lot of people, that's how we use social media. And and I don't know if you use it or why you use it, but uh, I'm I'm constantly trying to learn. And so this year I decided I was going to learn a new uh, social media platform that I, I had not previously done. I created a TikTok account. My wife and I both made one and we're like, all right, let's learn TikTok and one of the things that's interesting about TikTok is often the people who are interacting with your videos don't know you. Whereas in the other platforms, you usually have some connection with them already. TikTok puts you in front of a lot of strangers and has an algorithm that works that way. And so, you know, you really don't know on TikTok, like, how many views is this video going to get? And so I start making content, having no idea, like, is this going to take off or is that going to take off? And I'm just kind of monitoring, you know, and, and I'm putting some pretty brilliant content out there, if I do say so myself. And it doesn't go crazy, you know, but I'm like, all right, I'll keep working at it. And then finally, I hit it big. I get my first viral video. Now, this is all relative, right? Uh, viral for me, uh, this, was, this was big. I got 643,000 views on one single video which to put it in perspective of my entire life, it's probably more eyeballs on any one thing I've ever made than than anything else in my life, right? That's more than half a million people have viewed this one video. Here's the problem. I don't really like the video. So like of all the videos I've made, this is not the one I'm proud of. Like, yes, this is me at my my finest. This is me talking about why my eight-year-old is still in a booster seat. Like, it's not cool dad TikTok at all, but this is the one that has gone viral, and it's a little confusing to me, to be honest with you. Like, this has gone so well. I'm reconnecting with people that I haven't talked to in years who have randomly found me through this one viral video I made and went, hey, I know that guy, and like, we've reconnected. And they're like, hey, you're the booster seat guy on TikTok. I'm like, no, all this cool dad stuff I was going to do, and that's what goes big. 
And it's just a reminder to me of like, I can want this as much as I want. You can want, you know, your life just to go easy and things to go well, but it doesn't work like that for most of us. And so when we look at the life of King David, a lot of us are going to go, oh, must be nice. Must be nice to have that work out for you, right? Because maybe you feel a distance, but maybe if you're honest, you secretly want this. You secretly wish this is, is, is your journey. But what we're going to see in the life of King David is, I think it's more complicated than we often tell this story. Now, David, early on in life, he, he's a boy uh, under the, the, the King uh, Saul. So King Saul is king, and King Saul originally started off pretty okay, and then went downhill. And God's like, look, Saul's not my guy anymore. Uh, he's not the kind of king that I want. So he sends the prophet Samuel to go anoint a future new king. And Samuel goes to David's family, looks over all of his older brothers. Not you guys. It's going to be this boy. Uh, this boy is going to be king. Now, scholars suggest uh, David was probably 10 to 15 years old when the prophet Samuel anoints him as the future king. So 10 to 15 years old, he knows this is what my destination is going to be. But if you fast forward in the story, David doesn't become king till he's 30 years old. So that means 15 to 20 years, given you know, his age, that he's going to be on a journey to becoming king, knowing that that's coming, but not yet arrived at that destination. And that journey is not going to play out the way that David probably anticipates. Now, early on, it does. He gets success after success, and God is with him in, in ways that you would expect. Like, yeah, that should play out well for you. And it does. And King Saul begins to notice David, begins to give David authority and, and give him leadership over things because everything David does is going well. Except there's this turning point. If you're with me in, in 1 Samuel 18, we're gonna begin reading in verse five. And this is when there's a turning point in the relationship between the current King Saul and this future King David, who is this up and coming leader. It says this, whatever, David, or whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, we know what Saul can only suspect is that indeed David will take over this kingdom. David will be the next king that will, will be the one to lead Israel. And, and Saul begins to feel this, and Saul begins to feel jealousy. Why David? Why not me? And so this journey is not going to play out the way David expects because of what Saul is going to choose from this moment on. Now, one of the things that I learned from this story, and this may be true in your life as well, is that even when we're focused on the destination, God uses the journey to shape us. So you right now might be going, okay, here's what I want to have happen in my life. This is the destination. I'm working toward that. That is coming someday. And you may be really trying to go quickly through the journey. 
But God is going to meet you here precisely in the journey long before the destination becomes the reality. Long before you get there, he's going to meet you in the journey. Now, now this can be hard for us because oftentimes, as Americans especially, we don't really care about the journey. Just get to the end. Just get to the good part. You know, we want to get rich quick. We want to lose weight fast. We want to arrive at the destination. I don't want a long journey to get me there. But what we have to remember is that the journey is always connected to the destination. And that how you get somewhere is often more important than where you end up. And I can illustrate this for you. Back in 1908, the New York Times uh, ran this article in their newspaper. And I think this article is incredible. Just on the title alone, you know something great is coming, okay? 1908, New York Times has this heading. Dog, a fake hero. Which, if you knew nothing else, you knew this is going to be a good story. What? Pushes children into this river to rescue them and win beefsteaks. What? I've got to know more. What is this dog doing? Well, the article goes on to explain. Up to this point, there was nothing extraordinary. But rescues became more and more frequent. And hardly a day passed, but that some unfortunate infant was brought safely to the bank by the dog after an involuntary bath. It began to be suspected that the neighborhood was haunted by a mysterious criminal who just likes to push infants into the river. Uh, And a, a special watch was inaugurated. Then the truth came out. It was the dog, the noble lifesaver himself, that was the guilty one. Whenever he saw a child playing on the edge of the stream, he promptly knocked it into the water and then nonetheless promptly jumped in to the rescue. He had thus, this is great, established for himself a profitable source of revenue. (laughs) Isn't this great? The dog is like, wait, wait, let me get this straight. If I push these kids in, then I get them out, you feed me. Okay, check. You know, this dog's like going to do that. Now, here's the question. When you know what the dog was doing, do you still look at the dog like a hero? No. You're like, look, dude, you can't do that. You're no longer saving the kids. You put them in peril. See, the journey shapes the destination. And here's what I tell you. If you want to follow Jesus, this is even more true. Because Jesus is going to instruct you and ask you to live a certain way that the world is going to say, that's stupid. Jesus is going to ask you to accept a a set of values of the kingdom that the world's going to say, that's naive. And you're going to have to decide, do I live in this journey? Do I trust God with this lifestyle? And I don't really know where this destination is going to end up. But the means matter sometimes more than the ends. And so we wait. We learn to be content in the journey. We we focus in and go, okay, God, uh, this this is what I'm going to do. And someday... We, we may get there, but I'm going to trust you right now. There's a, a social project happening online uh, around the world where they make these little cards and they just invite people to share. What is it that you're waiting on? And then they, they let people post on all the things around the world, things that they're waiting for. I think some of these answers are insightful. One person said, I'm waiting for success. Many of us could relate with this. Yeah, as soon as I get that promotion. Soon as this thing, and I'm, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that raise, I'm going to get that achievement, right? We, we are waiting for success. One person, bro, I'm waiting for inspiration. I want to feel inspired. I want to feel something more than this. And we can relate with that. 
sadly, one person wrote, I'm waiting for friends that I don't have. Someday I'm going to have some friends. Someday I'm going to not be so lonely, but right now I'm just waiting. One person wrote, I'm waiting for my Hogwarts letter. Any fan of Harry Potter is like, yes, me too. We're waiting for something magical to arrive. Or this one, I'm waiting for this journey to end. To which most of us can go, yeah, me too. Me too. I'm, I'm ready for this part to be over. I'm ready to fast forward. Let's get to the good part. Let's get to the destination. Let's arrive there. And I'm sure David had to ask himself, how long is this journey gonna take? See, the boy David who's gonna become king's gotta be wondering, when does this happen? Enough already. When do I get to be king? And yet he waits and he waits. And not does he just have to wait 15 to 20 years, but this journey, this path to the kingdom is not at all what he probably anticipated it would be. Saul is not going to make things easy for him. Saul's not going to prepare him and help him and set him up well. No, in fact, Saul's so jealous of him that Saul decides, you know how I'm going to deal with this threat? I'm just going to kill him. And so we read these passages, numerous passages of David fighting for his life with the current king who is set on killing him. Let me share a few of these. 1 Samuel 18, verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp. He was sent there to calm Saul down as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand. That sounds healthy. And he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. This is, uh, this is a rated R Bible passage in the Old Testament, right? He's trying to literally murder David, put a uh, spear between him and the wall, David being attached to it. But David escaped him twice. Like, not once, twice. And you guys think, okay, if someone keeps throwing a spear at you, you, you know, like we've developed a, an unhealthy relationship here, right? This is not good for me. You keep trying to kill me. But that's not the only time this happens. Fast forward a chapter, 1 Samuel 19, 9. One day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, as he did, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Here's what I find remarkable. Have you ever seen a harp? Like, have you seen one? Have you seen how people play a harp? You have to like sit down around this massive thing. David is sitting down playing the harp and also has enough agility to dodge an incoming spear. That's truly remarkable, right? I mean, David is, is playing, watching Saul like, oh, here, it's coming again. Here comes the spear and runs out of the palace. And he, he's like, all right, uh, this is not good for me. I'm not gonna play the harp for him anymore. I'm gonna go somewhere else. So then Saul's like, fine, you're going to run. I'm going to chase you. And that takes on the next version of their relationship. 1 Samuel 24, 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from Israel. Ooh, the, 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 the best of the best. What's Saul about to do? Uh, and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. 3,000 of your best elite troops to do what? To try and kill this guy, this, this youngster that's this up and comer, the, the, the one that God has already said is going to be king. 
Saul takes the very best elite of, of his army and tries to find and hunt down David. Two chapters later, 1 Samuel 26, 1. Now some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David's hiding in the hill of Hakalah now, which overlooks Jeshimon. So Saul took 3,000 of his Israelites' elite troops and he went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Now let me ask you this. If you're David, how many attempts does Saul need to make on your life before you start having some honest conversations with God? One, two, seven? I mean, like, at what point you're like, hey, God, remember me? Yeah, uh, you, you anointed me to be king a uh, long time ago now, uh, but I'm still holding on to that, except here's the deal. Your current king is a little bit nuts, and he's trying to kill me, and you don't seem concerned by that, God. So just a reminder, if you could stop him from killing me, that would be great. That would help me be king someday if I don't die by the current king. I mean, I can only imagine what David has got to be feeling as the current king is trying to eradicate him, even though he knows God has promised that I'm going to be king. I have been anointed of God. And yet one of the most remarkable aspects in the life of David is what David doesn't do. See, some of David's finest moments are the things that David doesn't do. For example, David doesn't throw a spear back at Saul. Now, how many of us, if a spear was thrown at you, might be a little bit tempted to pick that sucker up and throw it back? You know, okay, how do you like it when a spear is thrown at you? David doesn't do it. He doesn't throw spears. In 1 Samuel 24, when Saul brings his 3,000 troops to David, David actually gets the upper hand and has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. Two chapters later, when Saul again finds him, brings his 3,000 troops, David again gets the upper hand on Saul and doesn't kill him. To which point his own, uh, uh, David's own guys are like, look, God is giving you Saul. He's literally allowing you to be king. Just kill him. Just take it. You can win. But one of the most remarkable things about the life of David is what he does not do. And I think David asked himself a question that you and I would benefit from asking as well. What will winning cost me? What will winning cost me? What will it cost me if I kill the current king in order to be king? What will that ultimately cost me? Do I want to be king like that? David decides no. And you and I would do well to reflect on the same thing. What would it cost us if we got what we want? And you can even extrapolate this out culturally. If we culturally as Christians got all the things that we want, if we won these culture wars, what would it cost us if we actually got those things we think, we say that we want? If God answered every one of your prayers that you've been praying, the prayers you may have prayed this morning or yesterday or this week, if God just said yes to all of them, would it bring out the best version of you? Would that allow you to be the very best you that is, is possible? See, now we go, well, I, I think so. I hope so. But I, I think we should just pause a moment and go, what will winning cost us? Now, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up listening to country music. Do we have any country music fans in the house today? You're in my prayers, okay? You're in my prayers. Because here's the deal. Uh, when I grew up, I realized there was other stations on the radio. 
and I never looked back, right? But it, what it means is I don't really love country music today, but I have a weird knowledge of like that period of country music from when I was a kid, and I, I know a lot of these songs. And that meant that I was raised on the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Garth Brooks. Wow, really no country fans here. Okay, uh, so here's the deal, Garth Brooks, uh, I'm talking vintage Garth Brooks. He got real weird later in life. Not talking about that. I'm talking vintage, old school, my childhood Garth Brooks. That was Garth at his finest, right? And Garth had some amazing songs that, that I was into as a kid. And, and one of them in particular was called Unanswered Prayers. And, and, and this is a story of Garth and his wife running into his high school girlfriend and him thanking God that he never hooked up with her. And I realized later as an adult, that is a savage dig on your ex-girlfriend, right? Like Garth, she can hear this song. Like you made it famous and just destroyed this woman's life because you're so grateful that you're not with her. Like anyways, uh, but like Garth writes this whole song about so glad I'm not with her. And there's a line in the song that says, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, I'm not a Garth fan, I'm not a country music fan, but I like that line, okay? There, there's, there's something to that line. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, I remember hearing that as a kid, and I'm like, yeah, that's deep. Yeah, I get it, all right? It took me a while. It took me a few years to really understand, yeah, that is deep. There is something to that. And the older I've got, the more I have found that to be true. See, let me just be vulnerable with you for a moment. Some of the, the most transformative moments, some of the moments where I've seen the goodness of God the most are in some of the most painful seasons of my life. Some of the seasons that absolutely did not go the way I wanted them to go. For example, our family moved out to Oregon for three years, lived there for three years, so that I could go be a lead pastor of a community. I was enamored by the vision about what we were going to do, about what we had opportunities before us. And I remember getting to a moment where I realized I have a choice to make in this context. I can either keep this job that I love in a place that I love, or I can do what God is asking me to do right now. And if I do what God's asking me to do, it's going to cause me to let, let this go and, and leave this behind. And I remember at that fork in the road deciding, okay, God, I'm going to trust you here uh, and assume that this is all going to work out well. And, and let me just be vulnerable with you. It didn't go well. It didn't play out the way I envisioned it. It was the biggest hurt of my life. It was the biggest hurt in my family's life. It has caused us to have years of healing to, to work through that. And you're going, okay, I'm, I'm going to wait because he's going to tell me this resolved. It didn't resolve. There's no happy ending to this. And if you ever wondered, like, why do other people seem to have God show up and everything works out? It's not just your life that things don't work out, right? I, I've had to deal with this. God, Why? Did you allow it to play out this way? Why did this not play out the way I wanted it to, the way I was asking you to? Why did you not intercede the way it would have made sense? I've had to wrestle with that over and over and over. God, why did you allow this? It's the same question I suspect David asked. God, why are you allowing Saul to chase me? Why are you allowing this? And it's the same question I bet you've asked in your life. God, why have you allowed this? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you resolving this? Why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you showing up and answering my prayers? See, this is the part of the story that you and I can find ourselves in. Why is God allowing this? 
Well, as we look at David's life in particular, I can begin to offer a theory as to why God was allowing it. Because I think often what chases us is often inside of us. See, what's chasing us can often usually be somehow inside of us as well. And I can illustrate this for you. You ever notice that the things that most annoy you about other people are things that you do too? Well, like, like I'll give you an example. Uh, in my life, we have very loud children. I'm talking very loud children. We have five of them. And you get all of them going at the same time. It is like just noise, 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 right? And I can become the Grinch. They literally make fun of me. I'm like, noise, noise, noise. Like so much noise. And so I have to like all the time tell my kids, like, you're here, bring it down. Like just so much, just mute you. Like gotta bring it down. And almost every time I'm having one of these conversations, I'll glance over at my wife who is smirking at me because I'm one of the loudest people that she knows right? I have a loud voice. I have a loud laugh. Everything I do is loud. And so in my kids, I see it and it drives me nuts. Why are you so loud? This is how it works. And you're the same way. And, And there's something, just think what annoys you the most about other people. You probably struggle with it too. It's probably in you too. And so what I have found is that God often allows people who have these same things to bring some reaction out of us to figure out, you're going to deal with that? That thing that drives you nuts with another person, you've got it too. Are you going to work on that? And so when we go to the life of, of David, here's what I want to, I want to submit this argument to you. And this, this may be hard for some of you if you grew up in church, okay? Because I know the story we've said about David our whole lives. But here's what I would encourage you. David was certainly a better king than Saul, but David was not a different king than Saul. Now, some of you are like, whoa, you cannot talk about my guy David like that, right? I know, I know. I grew up in church. David is a better king than Saul, but David is not a different king than Saul. So God, why did you allow Saul to chase David for so long? Because God was trying to remove something that was already inside David. Now, how do I make that argument? Because there's a a number of examples. If you look at in David's life, once he does become king, where he does some jacked up stuff. I mean, some stuff that you go, well, the, the, the perfect king, I don't think would do that. Most notably, a little story, David and Bathsheba, perhaps you've heard about this. Uh, he, he sees this woman, uh, decides, hey, uh, she's not my wife, but I, I like her, so I'm gonna sleep with her. Oh, and she's married, but her husband's a soldier. He works for me, so I'll just send him to war and get him killed. That's no big deal. Now, here's the deal. Uh, the best spin you can put on this story, and I hear a lot of Christians put a good spin on this. The best spin you can put on this is that's a horrendous abuse of power. That's the good version, right? A horrendous abuse of power. And I would argue that's worse than anything Saul ever did uh, by comparison. But what many people would say, uh, no, that's more than abuse of power. That's rape and murder. And, And it's done by God's anointed leader. That's a tough pill to swallow. When you go, how is David capable of that? And again, don't take my word for it. Read the text answer that question for yourself. How is is this anointed king capable of that? There's another time where David is fleeing Jerusalem and there's this guy named Shimei. And Shimei is like, I'm going to give the business to David. So he starts throwing rocks at him. He's raining down insults on David, which you do not do to the king. But Shimei is bold. David's having an off day. Shimei is like, I'm going to give it to him. And he just rains it down. Well, as a little time goes by, David's back in power again. Shimei realizes, uh-oh, that was a bad move. David's back to, to you know, having his, his power again. Uh, I need to go apologize. So Shimei does. 
apologizes to David, pleads for his life. Hey, I was out of line. You, you have every right. You can kill me, but please don't. David makes an oath to him. I will not kill you. Don't worry about it. I've forgiven you. You don't have to worry about this anymore. We, we are done. We can move on. And it seems like he did. Until on his deathbed, he's having a conversation with his son Solomon, who's going to be the next king. And all David, who's about ready to meet Jesus face to face, decides, you know what? Remember that guy Shimei? Don't let him die a natural death. Kill him. Tells his son Solomon. Solomon goes, okay. A few years later, it's all in the text. Solomon kills him. Goes and kills Shimei. Why? Because Solomon needed him dead? No, because David did. David decided to break his oath to this person. This petty grudge he'd been holding for all these years because someone mocked him one time. You go, well, who does that look like? That's Saul behavior right there. From the anointed God uh, appointed leader of Israel. So you go, how is that possible? See, I think God allowed David to be chased by Saul to remove some of the inner Saul in David. David, this is in you, and I'm going to give you 15 to 20 years to try to get it out. I'm going to do the best I can using this guy to try to remove what's inside of you. And we could argue God should have taken 30 years, and maybe David wouldn't have had these moments, right? But the point is, there was a reason, there was a purpose. God was at work in this journey, even when it probably made no sense to David. And I have found that God will do the same for you and I. God will meet us in our journey, and God will be at work to bring out the best in us. And God might use a person, God might use a situation, God might use a season of your life. But God will be present with you on the journey. And even when you want to convince yourself, God is gone, God has stopped listening, God doesn't care anymore, God will meet you there and begin shaping you for who God wants you to be, to the very best version of yourself. And so here's a question I invite each of us to consider as we reflect on the story of David. What is Jesus chasing out of me? Now, I don't say chasing out of me in a, in a, a threat, in a scary way, like he is pursuing you, he's hunting you now. No, no, he so badly wants the best out of you that Jesus will chase it out of you. And some of these things, uh, Jesus is going, look, until you let go of that, until that's less of who you are, you're never going to thrive. You're never going to be the person that I created you to be. So, so what is it for you? For a lot of us, I think Jesus is chasing greed out of us. You, you ever find yourself being really bothered by people who have a lot? By celebrities, by the rich and the powerful, like, oh, I can't believe them. Maybe that bothers you so much because that's in you. Maybe you're, you're you know, staring at what your neighbor has and you're obsessed with your neighbor or your coworker or that other person. Maybe it bothers you so much because that's inside of you. And right now, Jesus is trying to chase that out of you. Hey, that's not going to allow you to be the best version of yourself. You got to release that. You got to let go of that. Maybe for some of us, it's self-reliance. That we're just convinced, I'm, I'm going to do this life on my own. I don't need other people. I'm totally fine. And so God's going to allow something that's going to challenge that. Or you're going to need someone else. And it's going to be really hard. And you're going, wow, God, why are you allowing this? God's like, because this self-reliance thing you've developed isn't healthy. It isn't the best version of you. Maybe God's trying to remove some judgment out of us. And we can judge people in a, in a number of different ways. Sometimes we, we proactively do it. We talk, we gossip. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Or we, we cover it like, hey, I have a prayer request from my friend over here, right? That's a Christian way to do it. But we gossip about other people. Hey, did you know? Did you hear? Let's, let's, let's break them down so that we feel better. Or 
the, the, the more prominent way to do it. We just do it in our minds. You know what we call that? People watching. Oh, I'm just going to people watch. I'm going to just judge you. Oh, look at that person. I cannot believe she's wearing that. Who does he think he is? That, I can't, that is ridiculous. And in these thoughts, we break people down and we feel so good. We get life from it. Maybe God's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not you. That's not good for you. I'm going I'm to help you remove that. I'm going to get that out of you. For some of us, perhaps it's pride. Hey, I, I think I figured it out. I think I've arrived. I'm pretty good. I got this big old massive ego and, and it's my way or the highway and no one gets to challenge me. And God's like, all right, I'll chase that out of you. I'll help there because this is really holding you back and you can't see it. And you don't realize that. You don't realize how this is breaking relationships around you. See, I don't know what it is for you, but could it be possible that Jesus is using your current journey to bring out the best in you right now? Christine Kane has said it like this, God is always using our today to prepare us for our tomorrow. See, God doesn't waste today. God doesn't waste the journey. God will meet you there and God will bring life to you in the midst of it. See, while my experiences in Oregon did not play out remotely the way I would have wanted them to, God 100% used them to shape me into the person that I am today. And so much what I would say it this way, I don't think I could have become this version of me without going through something like that. Would I have chosen it? No. Do I want it? No. Would I give it up? Never. And I suspect it's true in your life as well, that God has used that to shape me. And so while that is an unresolved story, I do not understand why God allowed a lot of what God allowed in that season. I've learned to trust God that, you know what? God, you are working for the best in me. You are shaping me. You are bringing out better things in me. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. Could you trust God with your journey as well? So what we're going to do is I'm going to close by giving you just a few moments for you to quietly reflect with you and Jesus right now. Because it's one thing to go, yeah, great, love David, awesome. And we just move on to the next thing. But let's just stop for a moment, catch your breath. I'm gonna give you just a few moments with you and God. Figure out what journey are you in right now? What questions do you have for God? And can you trust God? Can you invite God into whatever is happening, whatever is unresolved in your life right now to see how God wants to shape you? Let's spend a few moments, then I'll close this in prayer. Jesus, we invite you into the journey. We don't know why it's played out the way it has. David didn't know why Saul was trying to kill him. I don't know why you let Oregon play out the way it did. And each one of us could have a whole list of questions as to why you've allowed the things you've allowed in our life. 
And yet the opportunity before us is not to get it all figured out, but to learn how to trust you. Learn how to give over that journey to you. To trust that you are shaping us into better versions of who we are. So Jesus, collectively, we want to say yes to you. Not just to the destination, not just to arriving somewhere, but to caring about how we get there. But how you shape us in the in-between, in this moment today. And so may we learn to have courage to trust when it's hard. When we don't seem to get the answer that we want. When you don't seem to care, when you don't seem to respond. May we trust that you are still good. You're still with us. And you're still working for the good in our lives. Would you give us eyes to see that and hearts to trust who you are? And may you transform us into kingdom people who go out and affect all of those we come in contact with, with who you are because of how we've been shaped by you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.